Hello and welcome to the Arbor Vita 8 podcast. I'm Jason Sroden and today I'm with Seth Boone from Pan Exchange. And if you don't know what Pan Exchange is, it is the place for benchmark and index prices on my favorite commodity, hemp. Um, and so I know it does more than that. I'm not going to do it justice. So without further ado, Seth, nice to have you here. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, great to be on. Um, yeah, I see information outlets like this being a huge opportunity to pass on knowledge in the industry and then just pass on education. I think this is a huge part of what we need to be doing to help develop the market and happy to be on. Thanks, man. Well, tell me about what you guys do at Pan Exchange since I did such a tremendous job explaining it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so Pain Exchange, um, we originally started in 2011 in East African commodities when the exchanges were developing there. Um, fast forward, um, we jumped on hemp as soon as it was legalized in the, in the farm bill and have reported prices and ran a platform um, through the development of the hemp markets. Our main goal is to help develop these markets and help them mature and get to and really just like help along the adoption curve to the point where we can get developed markets, develop financial tools for, for hemp markets, hemp ingredients. Um, and that includes both the cannabinoid side and the industrial side. And there's two main kind of two main uh, prongs, I guess, of our business model. One would be like the price reporting or price discovery, which kind of goes within the platform as well. Um, and that is being a price provider, tracking price trends, um, providing information, providing market analysis, and also working with industry with the industry to help develop standards and specifications. And then on the platform side is it's designed to be a supplemental spot market for as CBD companies and industrial hemp companies expand, develop scales, they can branch out and find a supplemental market to where they can solve points of pain. We don't want to, we don't want to like reinvent the wheel or reinvent a market. We just want to be a supplemental source for growing companies to find products that they need and also develop standards and develop specifications so that we can illustrate to the market what marketable products are actually out there today. So, yeah. so if I'm a, a processor or a farmer, I use Pan Exchange to see what the prices are on different types of material from biomass, crude, isolate, distillate, all that stuff. And from an aspect of I'm a processor or a manufacturer who has product and wants to sell it, if I have inventory, I can throw it up on Pan Exchange as another place to show off my product. Exactly. Yes. And we would be a source for pricing and that involves both your long-term contracts. So if you're pricing with your growers, we provide transparent data for that to where you could use for that mark to market accounting as well. So any kind of, any kind of price data needs that you would have, we could provide as well. Tell people how you guys come up with the, how do you do the spot pricing? How do you, how, how can we know as uh, an industry that, this is a good source of information. Yeah, I mean, one, um, we draw it off the platform. So like bids, offers that are realistic within bounds. We follow the IESEO uh, methodology as well. Um, so price reporting, like it has to be a confirmed trade. Uh, we vet the information that we're hearing um, against others that we're hearing. And 
then there's a like a tier methodology. So obviously things that happen on the platform are first and foremost real data that we have. And then through vetted suppliers, like for example, we don't deal with brokers. Um, we will not deal with a pure broker out there because, and that's part of our vetting process as well, is trying to weed out any sort of bias to manipulate or influence the market. Um, so it's first and foremost, the people that we work with on prices are vetted. And then secondly, we follow proven methodologies and then use and then have preferences on real confirmable data. That so I mean, that's, it's great. I mean, you can follow it along. I know that you guys talk, try to talk to people all across the United States. When I first started working with you guys a year ago, I don't think you were doing much spot checking in the Southeast. Has more price checking come in the Southeast? Where are you guys still a little light? Where are you feeling very confident in your data? Um, where we're really confident is obviously um, your supply meccas. So like Colorado, Kentucky, Oregon, those it's, that's where like the price is easy. And that's, but the sad part is now is that's typically the low end of the range because of, they have the supply. Um, so where we're, where our priorities are right now would be East Coast, Southeast, and then a lot of the non-recreational states. Um, that's where we're seeing less supply. That's where we're seeing higher price points trade. Um, and that's really where we need more transparency. And it's just a thinner market in general. So those are kind of the mechanisms that you're working against at the same time. Yeah, I'm a little bit obsessed with this topic. Uh, people have heard me talk about it a bunch, but that's like the supply and demand like rules of economics not applying to crude oil and the run on crude oil for uh, making D8. Uh, like, is the supply still really that high that crude can sit at these prices this long? Like, where are we? I, I just don't see that there's that much crude left. We there's no, everybody calls. We sell out of crude instantly, right? Like the minute it comes off the line, somebody wants it. Somebody's always looking for it. And then, you know, if we're brokering a deal and trying to help move crude for somebody, we'll send out samples and people won't be happy with that quality of sample. So not only are people desperate for crude, but they're also being super picky, which I don't blame them. We, I mean, mm -hmm. you should have great oil. And if the tests don't yeah. come back good, like don't buy it. But I don't get it. Can you shed some light on this for me? To me, when, when people are wanting crude, shouldn't the price go up a bunch? I still got people calling us, asking us for $85 a kilo. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we, have, we actually have a pretty awesome chart. We call it the potency chart, which just takes every single product down to a, a per point CBD price. And they're 99% correlated. Like they follow the same thing. And so everyone's pinched across the supply chain. So, and then we've even seen it with Delta A prices kind of going down to a parity as well too. It's really everybody's pinched. So that next level of the supply chain, they're just as pinched as your crude processor or even farmer. Well, not farmers the most pinched of anybody right now, but they're, they're pinched too. So they're gonna want to buy it at that price. And then what we're seeing is the regional differences, like the Southeast, East Coast is definitely sucking up a lot more. 
But in Colorado, there are crude suppliers that can meet that crude. And then the quality, and then you've got the quality side as well. So one of the biggest things that I'm seeing is particulates and winterization as being a big deal for a lot of these guys. And then, oh, I almost forgot about this. There was this last month a pretty big shakeup on the crude market. Um, I won't get too deep into it, but really just, let's just say we lost some production last May of someone up in the Northern Midwest that was producing good winterized product. And I think that threw a curveball into there. So I think we have a little bottleneck on crude developing. Um, and it really now, is. Now, I think I know the company you're talking about. Didn't they restructure though and, and are back to producing? That's kind of why I, I'm kind of hush hush on it is I don't know exactly <laughs> what, I don't know what the other side of it is. All I know is it kind of threw a curveball to some people. This month. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I mean, but. I, it still doesn't make sense to me. Where is all this crude sitting at? I mean, I get that people are being pinched and I mean, but how long, how do we get out of that cycle? How does that end? Got to get through the biomass. Um, right now, like, I, I don't think we're at, I think everyone that's producing crude isn't producing it at capacity. I think that's a big deal. I think some people out here in Colorado can meet some of the demand out there. And that's why it's sticking at like that 85. It is popping a little bit more in Colorado. We're starting to see it inch up a little higher. And then the East Coast, we're seeing it go up higher as well. But the bottom end of it is still sticking at 85. And I feel like if a buyer can, um, if a buyer can pinch somebody on the quality side, they will. Yeah. And they, I mean, they are, they're buying, there's people who are selling 85, but then the people don't really want it. <laughs> they yeah. want to, they want the eight, they want it for 85. They get it. And they're like, Oh, but it's not good enough. Get me better stuff at 85. And it's like, well, you really can't. Um, and it's hard for people to make money. What people have to understand is that everybody in the supply chain has to be able to make money or the industry's just not going to exist. Exactly. So, and like you said, with the farmers, I mean, that's been our biggest thing from the very beginning, right? Like we, we started as hemp farmers, we, and we lost our asses in 2019 and we're, if there are no farmers growing hemp, there will be no CBD. There will be no hemp for textiles, which is a whole other thing. You know, there'll be no hemp for any of the things. So we have to support our farmers and we have to thicken this up. So look, burn that biomass. It's no good. That 2019 biomass is garbage. Like just get I, rid of it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I think farmers that are currently growing know the material they need to produce for a crude processor to have effective throughput. I think they know that. They know the type of material they need to produce, but the thing is, is we've got all that 2019, 2020 material still out there. And it's hard to make, it's hard to efficiently produce good, clean crude when you don't know what you're getting on the biomass side. And look, we've processed some 2019 wet baled crude. Um, and I will tell you, I am shocked at, I mean, I got to give it to the bailing industry because it's amazing that that can sit in heat for that long and still maintain its CBD. So if anybody's worried about bailing, we've seen bales. You would think that you wouldn't be able to get anything out of it because they're a little mushy and they smell horrible, but they're still packed with CBD. Um, what do you think is going to happen to the price? 
Where where are we going? No, I mean, pre-harvest, it's hard to say that we don't go up. Um, right now with Delta 8 sales, I know processors are, and wisely so, staying as full as possible, anticipate, like, because it's really just a question of, it's not a question of when the biomass runs out, it's when the viable, processable, extract-ready biomass runs out. Um, and everyone's staying very full right now. So I'd say we rally pre-harvest. I think it's going to be modest. It's going to, and then we're going to be very touchy through August, September, waiting for FSA acreage reports. Um, they're not perfect, but they're the only indication, the only official government indication that we have besides licenses. Um, yeah, and those licenses aren't, aren't that re reliable all the time because you don't know if people are actually farming. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't use licenses. It 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 it's more likely to mislead you than to tell you anything valuable. All right, so Seth, l let's talk about some kind of crude spot pricing. I know you can't give a ton because that's what the website is all about. So if you really want to get the skinny and know all the numbers and look at the spot pricing for isolate, distillate, biomass, I th do you have water soluble on there too? Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, I mean, but they had like so much stuff. Go to panexchange.com. That's P-A-N-X-Change.com. P-A-N-X-C-H-A-N-G-E.com. Sign up. You won't believe how affordable it is. I mean, it's so, is it like 89 for the year or something crazy like that? I can't even remember. Uh, I think it's 1500 for the year. Uh -huh. 1500. Yeah. Yeah. 1500 for the year. Maybe it was like, I had some number 1500 a year and that's to get on the trading platform as well. Right. Yeah. And it's both on there, um, the subscription and the platform come together. Yeah. So you can go to pan exchange, get it for that low rate for a whole year. You'll be able to think through your prices, your strategies, all that stuff. So Seth, on that note, let's talk a little bit about crude crude being, kind of the leader in telling us where all the other prices are going. What are you seeing? Um, a little uptick. I'd say the, like your source states like Colorado, um, want to put Kentucky in there too. Colorado and Oregon for sure are, they're taken up on the low range. Um, we're seeing quality definitely kind of still go under the low end of the range um, for lower qualities. Um, what are you saying that would be? What are you considering lower end of the range? Under 60? Mostly here, yeah. It's, it's either under 60 or heavy in particulates and solubles and um, just not winterized perfectly. Like there's a big premium on winterization, uh, especially for storability. Seeing it here and then really kind of seeing the bottom end of that kind of pick up to like 80, 85, um, seeing more better materials start to go up over a hundred. Um, and then the regional differences seeing, I mean, in the East, that's kind of where our data is probably the thinnest. Um, but have seen crude going well over into the, like the 150, 300 range in the East. It's just a question of it's a thin market. So it's has, who's not, who you talk to that day. Um, so I'd say early on, um, early in the month, when kind of that shakeup happened, there's some uncertainty. That's where we saw higher prices trade and then probably more of like the 150. To what are you seeing that? What are the crude? What's the quality of the crude at that rate? The 
150, Very clean. I mean, if it's going to be really, if it's going to be used quickly, um, not seeing such a big preference on winterization, um, but still are seeing that definitely. So like the high end of that is well winterized, no solvents, no solubles, no particulates, very clean crude. Yeah. Um, so that's very important to people for sure. I mean, do you, you, we've seen a lot of brokered deals come through and that crude is not clean and you look, it's extraction is not easy, <laughs> you know, especially at yeah. scale. It takes a lot of effort. We know it has been, it is a journey every single day. Um, so what, any other areas where you're seeing crude, like, did you say the North, did you give the North uh, West pricing? Is it in that 80, 85 range? Yeah, I'd say it kind of falls in there. Um, what are you little... seeing? What are your thoughts on CBG? We're seeing an uptick in people's interests, web searches, all of that stuff. What are you seeing on your end on CBG? Yeah, CBG and the miners are still commanding a premium. Um, I'd say it's definitely it's definitely thinner, so it's harder for us to get a handle on it. Um, but biomass is trading definitely premium there. Um, a lot of it just depends on the quality. Um, I'd say like, if it's really good, potent, um, shucked flour, you're going to be 10 to $20 a pound, just depending on quality. Um, a lot of interest there and very interesting is seeing a lot of export interest there too. Um, and a lot of what we're hearing there is anecdotal where that's one of our priorities to get in front of that market more. Um, but definitely see a lot of export interest. And I think a lot of that is across the board on miners. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, and, and as more research is done, I think more of that, that interest is only going to grow. Looking at the numbers like you do on a daily basis, if you were going to, you know, plant something right now, what would you plant? Oh, depends where I was regionally. Um, like if I was in the East and the Carolinas, that, that'd be one of the few places, like if I was in the East, Southeast Carolinas, that'd be one of the few places I'd look at like a cannabinoid crop. Um, I'd keep my acreage down as little as possible, work with definitely vet whoever I'm going to work with before I plant. Um, if not, I'm going to be looking at like trying to do something on my own. Um, so yeah, any kind of cannabinoid I'm, I'm pretty hesitant on. Um, unless I'm kind of in the Eastern area where there's more demand. Um, but yeah, generally. Why I, is that? You, you just think, think the supply is still so heavy? I think definitely in like areas like Colorado, Kentucky, it is. Um, there's still a lot out there. Um, and then, then it's just already so saturated with people doing business here too. I feel like the opportunity is still out in the non-recreational states. And then um, beyond that, honestly, one of the, on the industrial side, what I would look at would be like a grain herd combo. Um, grain going to the food industry is one of the few things that we're seeing move at volume. Um, fiber is still very much in a, uh, in a research kind of area. We're still seeing a lot of material being imported, but right now, as far as building materials, people and plastics, 
that's where the low hanging fruit is, is on the herd going to building materials, animal bedding and plastics. Herd is amazing. I mean, when you, when you hold it in your hands after it's been through the, the dryer, it's like holding really hard wood mulch. And you just think, man, with OSB prices, how they are, they're going to start making so much OSB out of this hemp stuff as soon as people get their heads out of their asses. Oh, yeah. And then the plastics, I mean, they're getting slammed on inflation for filament prices. They're looking at it as a direct input into the filament. And they're, it's not really a bioplastic because they're still using petroleum pol- like petroleum resins. But companies like Danimer are closer than you think to getting a hemp resin out there. Yeah, I, I believe it. Um, Seth from pan exchange, um, make sure you go check out panexchange.com. That's P A N X C H A N G E.com. Sign up, get the yearly subscription so you can keep up to date. You can help our industry grow by being knowledgeable and having the facts and making sure that you stay profitable because there's a reason that these prices are where they're at. Uh, we need to all work together and uh, get the industry to a footing where we can all make some real money. Seth, thank you so much for your time. We're going to be doing this every week, hopefully, if you're down. Um, and uh, hopefully, if you have questions out there for Seth or me, hit me up at info at arborvita8.com. On behalf of Seth, Pan Exchange, and the Arbor Vita 8 team, I'm Jason Sorotin, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Seth. Thanks. It was great to be on.